Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning and welcome today to Journey Church. Thank you today for being here. Um, a couple of things before we begin the message here today. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. First, we have this new Bible study that's going to happen I'm going to start that today. Uh, you don't have to be in attendance here. You can stream it live uh, wherever you're at if you want to do it that way. Uh, so it's not a requirement to be here. But we are bringing our in-game series into, uh, in for a landing. And uh, so we're going to be wrapping this up uh, over the next few weeks, just maybe uh, four weeks or so, four to five weeks. And, uh, but there's a lot of people that really want to continue this. There's a lot that really are interested and want to know more about the in-depths of the end times. And so that's what I'm going to do on Sunday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. Again, they'll be live streamed. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel. If you've not subscribed to that, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, on there, I also put out uh, three times a week, I put out devotionals or really Bible studies that are coming through books of the Bible. And so it's a great little way to supplement and be discipled in that manner. Uh, it's a great, uh, a great way to learn God's word. So I'd encourage you to come. And if you can't be here, live stream it or get on and watch it later because we're going to go in depth where we look more at the prophetic events that are happening happening uh, from uh, every week that are happening in our world, but we're going to look in depth at uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, more so than we could do on a Sunday morning. So uh, again, I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Another thing I want to let you know about is that uh, we, are, we are planning as a, as a church uh, leadership team, uh, as a church elder board and uh, s uh, staff members have been working on this, we are coming up and proposing a, uh, a, a remodel to our children's ministry area. Uh, we bought this building, um, I think it was four years ago now, um, we bought the building and we started the remodel. We started remodeling the Java area. We remodeled this whole area. This was all uh, office spaces with a drop-down ceiling, and, and we remodeled this area. The youth area has been remodeled, but the kids' area has not been remodeled, and we want to do some work in that area. This is what our current building looks like on the north. This is the north end. This uh, is the building through the coffee area. And you can see, and I think I have a little laser thing here. Um, so the Java area there, that's the uh, coffee area. And this building, this would be the north end. This is where our big sign that says Journey Church, that's uh, if you've driven by and seen that lit up at night, uh, that's where that sign is. And so this is the way our current Thing looks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but what we want to do is the remodel would be something like this. We are going to be, uh, the, everything that's in the blue outline will be a children's ministry wing, and it will be isolated off from the rest of the building. So the children's ministry, uh, I will be losing my office, and that will be turned into, um, that in the library will turn into a classroom. So we'll have We'll have a, a big drop-off area down here. You can see that, or if you're on this side, you can see it over here. Uh, the children's ministry entrance will be a, ch a place where you can go in and drop your kids off 
and or you could drop your kids off at nurseries. So this will be where we encourage people that have kids, if you wanna come in that way, uh, you can absolutely come in that way right over here. Drop the kids off in a large uh, kids sanctuary, kids classroom uh, that will be about um, one and three quarter size of what our current classroom is, room 133. Then we will be having all of these kids' classrooms along the wings, and we'll have a kids' bathroom that will be uh, isolated from the main bathrooms uh, of what we currently have. And so new carpet, tearing down walls, constructing other walls, uh, new paint, and just make it a wonderful kids' area, kids' ministry area. So with that said, I am asking for you to consider giving toward that project. Not diverting your tithe, you know, if you already tithe not diverting your tithe, but giving toward this project. Um, we need about, we're, we're kind of estimating around $30,000 to do the remodel. And if you love kids, you will give to this project, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna shame you a little bit that way. If you love kids, you're gonna give, no. We need about 30000 for that. I'm going to get a new office out of it, but it's going to be, you know, it's nothing special. Uh, but I want to raise about 50000 for that office um, because I want to put a hot tub in the office, my own separate bathroom, because I don't want to share a bathroom with these other staff members. I mean, come on. And, uh, and then I want a car out of it too. So that's going to be for my, no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, the a whole project we think is going to be about $30,000. If you'd like to give to that, that's what's going to be, we're going to be working on. Um, you're going to see some of the construction signs. And if people have skills that you would love to volunteer your time and your abilities for that, please let us know. And uh, we will take any help that we can get so that we can save money. And that's a big goal is to not spend a whole lot of money, but make it a wonderful kids area uh, for our children's ministry program. It's the only area that we really haven't done uh, and remodeled here in the church. And so we need to work on that to make a wonderful place for our kids. All right. That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, let's move into the message here today. The Endgame series, like I had said before, we are at the point of beginning to look toward wrapping this up. There's so much more that could be covered. There is so much more that could be said about the Endgame series. Uh, there's so much more in-depth things that are happening in our world that the Bible clearly covers, the timelines that the Bible covers, but it's too much, again, like I've said, to do on a Sunday morning. And, and I know for a lot of people, you feel like, well, one, you feel like maybe I don't, you don't understand it well enough just because you don't know the Bible well enough. And this, it's a good chance for you to come back on Sunday afternoons and really learn some of those things. But secondly, for some, it's like overwhelming. This is like an overwhelming, intense topic, which it is, but it is a necessary one. It's not something that we could stick our heads in the sand and pretend like nothing is existing or nothing is going to happen. We've got to be aware of these things, prepared for these things uh, in anticipation of these things that are going to happen. Now, what we have been talking about is in Matthew 24, Jesus gives a series of prophetic statements. Now, a prophetic statement is a statement of things that are going to happen. These are not analogies. These are not illustrations. This is not parabolic language. This is literal things that Jesus says are going to happen. When Jesus says deception will occur, that means deception will occur. When he says earthquakes will happen, it means earthquakes will happen. 
when he says that there will be nations rising against nations, ethnic groups against ethnic groups is what that word means. When you see kingdom against kingdom, when you see wars and you hear of rumors of wars, these are all literal events that Jesus is saying is going to happen. When you hear of famines, when you hear of pestilences, there's not hidden meaning in any of that. He's just literally saying these are the events that are going to happen. He transitions out of that into parables. And the parables that Jesus gives are there to prepare us for everything that he had just said in Matthew 24. So today, we're getting into the second parable and looking at the second warning that Jesus is giving. The message title today is the need for alertness at the end of all things. Let's pray as we begin and ask for God's blessing. Father, we come before you today humble, surrendered, and wanting to hear from you. Lord, help me to speak words on your behalf, not words of my own, but words from you. Help us, Lord, to, to be prepared. Help us to be alert for the things that are going to happen around us. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live with anxiety or worry but we need to live with anticipation, knowing that you're going to return and knowing that you're going to come for your bride. Father, may you be glorified here today. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Not our kingdoms, but your kingdom. Not our wills, Lord, but your will and your plan. Father, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need from your word. Give us the sustenance that we need spiritually and physically to be able to face life. Help us to forgive in direct relation to how you have forgiven us. Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us, that you do not hold our sins against us. And now, Lord, help us not to hold those sins against anyone else. Don't lead us into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. In and specifically the evil one. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for what you're gonna do among us now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. In preparation for going through these parables, and again, I told you that, that the way that it's divided, in, and this is a good thing, this is why I encourage you to carry a Bible with you and study a Bible with you because you can look at the way that the verses connect to one another. It's hard to see that on a screen. It's easier to see that when you have that in your hands. Again, Jesus gave this series of prophetic statements. These are the things that are going to happen. At the very end of those prophetic statements, Jesus is going to say something specific about his coming again. That coming again is then what he will begin to talk about in the parables. The parables are our preparatory tools in order to be prepared mentally and spiritually for his return. Now, I want to turn just at the end of Matthew 24 of the prophetic statements Jesus made in verses 30 and 31, and I want to look specifically for that as we lead into talking about the parables. So let me read that, chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. And these, again, are literal events. This is not, not illustrative. This is not analogy. This is literally what is going to happen at the end. After all of the things happen, 
after all of the turmoil happens, after the days of trouble, the, those three and a half years, Jesus says this, then the sign, I should turn, on, turn that for you, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a great trumpet blast, a great shofar, and they will gather together his chosen from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the only time that Jesus talks about the gathering of his body, the gathering of the church. It only happens at the end of the events. It's the only time that Jesus himself ever speaks to any of this. And he says that the Son of Man will come with, on the clouds of heaven. Now, I want you to notice that little phrase. The Son of Man will be coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is alluding to something that the book of Daniel says, something that the book of Acts says, and something that will be talked about in the book of Revelation. In the book of Daniel, it says this. Daniel is having a vision. He's having a night vision, meaning a dream at night. And Daniel says that he observes, when he was watching in the night visions, he observes one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And so Jesus just says, here's how I'm going to return. I will return on the clouds. You're going to see this return happen. Daniel refers to the exact same event. You're going to see the Son of Man coming. Now, Daniel wrote this probably 600, five to 600 years before Jesus even came on the scene. This is what's going to happen at the end times. The book of Acts alludes to the same thing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, after Jesus gives his final talk to all of the people gathered, his disciples that were following, after Jesus gives the final talk, he is going to ascend into heaven. He ascends into heaven among a multitude of witnesses. Many people are eyewitnesses and see this event. And after saying all of this, while they were watching, the disciples were watching, he, that is Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they were staring into heaven, as he went up, suddenly two men stood with them, the disciples, in white clothing, two angelic beings of some kind. They said, men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? This Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus, this Yeshua, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what is he saying? Again, the same kind of, uh, same kind of thing is being said as in the book of Daniel, as Jesus himself said in Matthew, that the Son of Man will come on the clouds. You're going to see him return in the same manner that you saw him depart. Now, in the book of Revelation, Here's where it all comes together. In Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 14, John has a heavenly vision. He has a heavenly experience, and it's all dealing with the end times events. John sees this event take place after the seven seals are broken, after the seven trumpets are blown, in that interlude between those trumpets and God's bowls of wrath, you see this event take place. And the event that takes place is this. John sees this thing happen. John says, then I looked, and behold, there was a white cloud. 
and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man. He had a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud. So, uh, so an angel came out of the temple, out of the heavenly throne room, and spoke to Jesus on the cloud and said in a loud voice, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Now what is the harvest? The harvest is all people who have come to faith are now finally being harvested. They are finally being gathered, collected. The sickle is swung. The harvest happens. All of the good wheat is pulled up. It is taken to heaven to be with him. Then, look at this. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has authority over fire, came out from the altar. And he called out with a loud voice to the one holding the sharp sickle, a different angel holding this other sharp sickle, and said to this angel, put in your sickle and gather the grape clusters from the vineyard of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and gathered the clusters from the vineyard of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. If you've ever heard the term, the grapes of wrath, that's where it comes from. That a great gathering of those who weren't harvested, who were not part of the wheat, everybody else is gathered and they are thrown into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was stomped on outside the city and the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This great wrath of God that is poured out, but it all is preceded by the one who comes on the clouds. Jesus says, I will be coming and you will see me coming and I will be on the clouds and I will come to gather you. Daniel says, I saw one seated on the clouds like the son of man. Acts says, the one that you just saw ascended to the clouds, he will descend the same way. Revelation says the exact same con context. So why do I share all of this with you? Because all of that last final thing that Jesus said ties in to all of the parables that he is going to share. All of those things that just happen beg a question from us, and the question is this, what should we be doing in anticipation of the Lord's coming. What, what should we be doing? Should we be filled with fear? No, we should not be filled with fear. Should we be filled with anxiety? No, we should not be filled with anxiety. We should still be living life. We should still be going to work. We should still be raising a family. We should still be attending church and worshiping together. We should be wise stewards of the things that he gives us to be stewards over. Yet, at the same time, Jesus specifically says, I want you to be prepared, and I want you to be watching, and I want you to be warning, and I want you to be waiting for me. 
All of the thought of Jesus' return makes me wonder, you know, think about the fact that we shouldn't be panicked, we shouldn't be stressed, we shouldn't be fearing, we should be excited for his return. We should be anticipating his return. I mean, the thought of, and I've, I've, you know, I have these thoughts of, okay, I wanna lose weight, but why bother? Because Jesus is just gonna return. And so I shouldn't be anticipating. That's a joyful thing to think of, the Lord's return. So he gives a series of parables to tell us how we should be in anticipation of his return. The first parable that he gave us was last week. He gave us the parable that said, I want you to be discerning. I'm gonna give you some directives, Jesus says. I'm gonna give you some counsel regarding the end times. Here's what I want you to take to heart. First, I want you to be discerning. Discern the signs of the times. That's what we read last week in this. When Jesus said, now learn the parable from the fig tree, when its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near. It is at the door. Amen, I tell you, this generation, the generation that sees all these things, remember, what are all these things? Well, you see in combination, you see earthquakes and famine and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation. You see the abomination of desolation. You see Israel get pummeled. You're the generation that will see the Lord's return. That's how you can know. So he says, look, I want you to be discerning. If you see a leaf growing on the tree, know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things happen, know that I'm about to return. So the generation that sees all of these things needs to be discerning and know that Jesus is going to be here. So his message in the parable was this, watch for and discern the signs. We should all be watchmen and watchwomen. We are looking at the signs. Don't go to sleep. Pay attention. Pay attention to the signs that you're seeing. Look for the leaves on the trees, metaphorically. I know it can be intense, and I know it can be anxiety-producing, but we're not there yet. We haven't arrived there yet, but watch the signs. Just look for it. Just be discerning. You don't have to uh, panic and stress and fear. You need to be excited about and looking forward to the signs of Jesus' return. So he says, be discerning. Now today, he's gonna give us the second parable. And the second parable is to be alert. Let's look at this together. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. And he's gonna give us three examples that are important when it comes to being alert and being prepared for his return. Look what he says. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. For just as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay alert, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch 
and not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, that parable has been pulled out of context in so many ways that people use it as a proof text of things that are not being said in the statement. Let me give you what, are, what Jesus is saying. He's giving three examples of being alert at the end times. The first example that Jesus is gonna give is the example of a wedding. And here's how he gives this example. He says this, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son except the father alone. Now you may be saying, well, what does that have to do with a marriage? How does that have to do with a wedding? I don't understand what that would have to do with any kind of a wedding. This verse has been used as what's called a proof text for people who say Jesus isn't really God because he doesn't know everything. It's also been used as a proof text to say to people, you don't need to pay any attention to end time stuff because nobody can know, nobody could possibly understand. So it's a reason for people to say, well, I'm, so I'm not gonna pay any attention to it. I'm just gonna stick my head in the sand and pretend like none of this is going to happen. The problem with that and the problem with proof texting, now here's what a proof text is. It is when you take one verse of scripture and you use that verse of scripture to apply it to what you want to apply it to rather than reading all of the context of everything that's going on. People do this all the time. Husbands are really guilty of this. And they will take the one verse that says, wives, do you know what I'm gonna say? <laughs> Submit to your husband. And they will take that verse and they will throw out everything before and everything after. That's called proof texting. They are taking the one verse to present their case for being a jerk and saying, wife, you need to submit to me. Now, I have done that. I just want you to know, but I usually do it in joking. I usually do it in joking with my wife because they disregard the verses after that say, why our husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Why our husbands, I want you to see to it that you love your wives. Wives, you respect your husbands. So they have proof texted. Well, it's the same thing that happens here. What is Jesus really saying in this statement? Jesus has already said, I and the Father are one. We know that Jesus is, he was there at the beginning of creation because it says it many times throughout the Bible. We know that Jesus is not literally saying, I don't know anything about this because he had just got done teaching all of the events that were going to happen leading up to this point. Jesus isn't playing the I don't know, man, I just work here, card. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is saying something deeper and something more profound. And what he is relating it to is the picture of how marriage worked in that day. In that day and in that culture, and some of you have heard me teach about this before, but in that day and in that culture, marriage was an interesting thing. I would love to go back to this kind of event to see it happen in real life. In that day, a wife or a, a bride would be seen by a potential groom. This girl who was not engaged at the time, a guy would see her and wanna get married to her. So what he would do is he would take his father and he would go meet with her and her father and they would sit down together and they would negotiate what was called the bride price. The guy agreed to pay the father of the bride because the father of the bride was going to be losing his daughter. Girls were not seen as assets, they were seen as liabilities. And so the guy had to compensate the father 
of the girl. The bride price would be negotiated. Once it was negotiated, then the groom and his father would go back to the father's house. At the father's house, the groom and the father would begin to work together on a construction project. And they would begin to construct a dwelling, really it's an add-on room to the father's house. The son would start building a room and the father would help him build a room and that's where the father and the bride would eventually live. They would live, or the father and the bride. That's, okay. Yeah, this is not Arkansas or anything. Uh, Hopefully nobody listens in Arkansas. I mean the groom and his bride, that's where they would live. They would be part of the father's house. Okay, you follow me? Now, the son, when he got there with the father, if it was up to the son, he knows that he can't go back and get his bride until this room is ready, so he wants to just throw up a few boards, slap things together, and call it good, and then go get his wife. But the father would say, "Uh uh-uh, you aren't done until I tell you you're done. You can't finish this project until I say it's finished. When the father was finally ready, saying the son, you, to the son, you have finished the project, it's a beautiful construction, it's all done, go ahead and go get your bride. The son didn't know when it was time to get the bride, only the father knew. Because only the father had the final say to say, now it's time, now the construction project is done, go ahead and go get your bride. Now, in that culture, a lot of times, the grooms and their wedding party would love to go collect their brides in the middle of the night. They called it being a thief in the night. And so what would happen is they would come to the outskirts of town, and they would blow a trumpet, and every girl-in-waiting in the town would wonder if it was my turn. Is this guy coming for me? And so they would wonder this, and they would anticipate this, and they would make sure that their oil lamps had oil, and their lamps were trimmed, and they were all ready to go. And the the groom would come get the bride and take the bride back to the father's house. The marriage would be consummated, and then there would be a a celebration, a seven-day celebration, a seven-day party to really, really uh, enjoy this event. When Jesus says, I don't know, Only my father knows. He was giving the illustration of the way that a marriage worked in that society. He wasn't saying, I don't know, because he just gave all of the signs that we need to be looking for. He was saying this, be prepared. You see, you know in that society, a girl in waiting, a bride in waiting, would know when the time was drawing near. Because... I know he should be done with the construction about now. Or they would get reports from their friends saying, hey, I saw it, I went by their house, it looks great, he's gotta be about done. And so they would know that it's about to happen. They didn't know specifically the day or the hour, but they probably could narrow it down within a week or two. Maybe, if not that, within a month. It's not gonna take forever. They know. And so Jesus is alluding to and saying, look, Like a marriage, when my father says it's time, that's when I will return to collect my bride. In the book of John, John 13 and 14, this this event that happens, this picture of this wedding event, dad saying be patient, work hard, get it ready, the son working, putting effort in. 
when Jesus talks about this event at the end of, uh, in the book of John, chapter 13, he's alluding to the exact same thing. Jesus had talked to his disciples and said, I'm about to go into heaven. I'm about to ascend. I'm going to leave you. The disciples said, wait, wait a second. Where are you going? I, I, we're going to go with you. We, we'll go anywhere you were going to go. And Jesus says, no, you can't right now. You can't. Are you prepared to die? Peter says, yeah, I am prepared to die. Jesus, okay, one day you will come with me, but you can't right now. So Peter says, master, where are you going? Simon Peter said to him, Yeshua, Jesus, answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but, but you're going to follow me later. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that, I'm, uh, that I am going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. That is the language of a wedding. Jesus is saying, in my Father's house, there are many additions. Those are called insula, many additions, many add-ons, many built rooms for the bride. I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of preparation that's going to take place. But when it's ready and it's all done, I will come back with a trumpet blast and I will collect my bride the same way that it happens in a marriage. So what is Jesus saying in this little statement? He's saying this, wait and be alert. Wait and be alert. Wait for my return. You know it's gonna happen. You've seen the signs. I told you what to look for. I told you the signs. You know that a groom always comes back to get, to, to get his bride. They'd never not come back and collect the bride. You wait. You stay alert. Keep your oil lamps trimmed, he's going to say in a different parable, and make sure you're ready, and I will come back. Watch the signs. Watch and be alert. Wait and be alert. Then he gives example number two. Example number two is a flood. Look at what Jesus says. For just as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. What is Jesus talking about? He's giving the analogy that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be just like what happened in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, did the people know that God was going to destroy the earth and God was going to come again? And the answer to that is, yes, they did. He says in Genesis chapter 6, it's going to be 120 years he gives the specific countdown, 120 years. He tells Noah, I want you to start building the ark because I'm going to destroy this world. Noah goes to work. He starts building the ark. He gets the ark prepared. He gets the ark ready. Then he says to Noah, Genesis 7, 4, for in seven more days, I'm going to make it rain upon the land 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe out all existence that I made from the face of the ground. They didn't not know. They chose not to listen. 
Do you understand that? They had been warned. It's gonna happen in 120 years. They would have known 50 years out. They would have known 20 years out. They would have known 10 years out. They would have known five years out, one year out, 50 days out, seven days out. And so what happened? God warned, but they refused to listen. And so what is he saying? In the same way, God will warn and God will give the signs and people will preach and people will be watchmen and watchwomen and people will share, but people will refuse to listen and they will just go about life, marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking. That's what they did in the days of Noah. They were just going about all of their regular life, not heeding the warning that was being given. And because they did not heed the warning, when Noah went into the ark and that door closed, just like when we are taken to him, it's over. There is no more opportunity. It is done. God warned and warned and warned and pleaded and pleaded, but they would not heed that warning. Second Peter, Peter writes this. He said, he, that is God, did not spare the ancient world, he preserved only Noah, a proclaimer, a preacher of righteousness. Meaning, Noah was proclaiming it, and Noah was preaching it, and Noah was warning people, and they did not heed the warning. And God brought a flood upon the whole world, upon that of the ungodly. He devastated in the same manner the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing them to ashes, making them an example of what is going to happen to people that are ungodly, unrighteous, unholy, and unrepentant. You will have ample opportunity, but people will not listen. They will just keep going about living life, doing whatever they want, not heeding the warning until it is too late. And God says they didn't understand. Well, they didn't understand because they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't pay attention to the warnings that God was giving. So what is God saying in this parable? He's saying, wait and be alert, and now warn and be alert. Warn people. Warn people of the things that will be coming. Warn and make sure they are alert. One final, and I'll try to do this really quickly. He gives a third example, and that is a thief. Now remember, that analogy of the thief has to do with the marriage itself. It is sometimes a groom would want to come as a thief in the night. They would blow the trumpet, and they would be coming as a thief in the night. Jesus says this about a thief. He says, therefore, stay alert, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Now, interestingly, in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, we do kind of know the time frame because he says it will be three and a half years. Three and a half years from the abomination of desolation. He gives it in multiple ways, four different ways. He says the same exact thing. You can kind of know. Now, there is a mysterious gap at the end. According to Daniel, there's this 30-day gap. And the earth is going to be pummeled like nothing else at the end before he returns. And so, who knows? The sun will be darkened. The, the, there will not, you can't see the stars. Who knows what's going on at that time? But that could throw off time a little bit as well. But we know a general idea. Jesus says, uh, but know this. So he says, you don't know, but, but you do know. Know this that if the master of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. So you also, 
must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now again, think about that in the context of Noah. They warned and they warned and they warned. People did not heed the warning and so the flood caught them by surprise. But they had ample opportunity to know. In the same way, you will have ample opportunity to know, but you just choose not to heed the warning. That, that's what Jesus is saying. So think about this. You, let's say you're at a store and you overhear a couple of guys and they're talking and they're talking about robbing a house in the middle of the night. And as you listen a little bit further, you hear them say an address and you realize, wait a second, that's my address. It's my, ha- they're gonna rob my house in the middle of the night? I don't know what time it's gonna be, but I know it's coming. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go home and just go to bed? No, you're gonna go home and you're gonna set up your security system in some manner, whether it's a shotgun or a dog, you're gonna set up something and you are gonna be prepared and you're not gonna go to sleep because you know something is coming. That's the same analogy Jesus is giving. Be prepared, know that it's coming. Look for the signs, look for the evidence, prepare yourself, be alert, and know these things are going to take place. So Jesus says, wait and be alert, warn and be alert. Now he says, watch and be alert. He wants us to know. He wants us to be aware. He wants us to have a general idea so that we can fulfill our role, which is to be watchmen and watchwomen who sit on the wall and watch for the signs that are coming our way so that we can warn people, our loved ones, our friends, our family members, the strangers that we run into. We can warn people that these events are coming. And when you start to see the signs unfolding and you can point people to the scripture and say, look, here's what Jesus said and look at the news on TV. This is what's happening. It matches. People are going to be open to saying, wow, maybe this is real. Maybe I had better take this seriously. And maybe they will be in a point of being able to repent and trusting God for their salvation so that they can climb aboard the ark And before that door is closed, the last one gets on and the flood hits. So here's what Jesus says. We need alertness at the end of all things. We need to be prepared and we need alertness. We need to wait, we need to warn, and we need to watch because Jesus will return. He will return in the same way in which he left. He was ascended into the clouds. He will return one day and everything about his kingdom will be set in motion. How do you respond to that? Well, one way is this. Are you prepared? Have you accepted Christ as Lord? Have you said, Jesus, I need this relationship with you. I can't keep sticking my head in the sand. I need you in my life. Have you prepared other people? Have you warned other people? Are you watching the signs of the things that are happening? However it is that God wants to use this in your life, I just pray that you would be receptive. Say, God, here I am. Use me. Help me to be prepared. Help me to be ready. Help me, Lord, to be alert. I don't have to panic. I don't have to be in fear. 
It's not happening today because all of the signs haven't come about yet, so I don't have to worry about it today, but I need to have my radar on so that I can start seeing the things as they begin to unfold, and things will begin to unfold. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, help us to be prepared and help us to be alert. Help us, Lord, to see the signs, to know that like in a marriage, you went to the Father's house to prepare a place for us and that you will return to collect your bride with the blast of a trumpet, the way that a groom would come back to collect his bride. I pray, Father, that we'd be prepared. Like in the days of Noah, people were just going about life and not paying any attention to what the warnings were. Help us, Lord, to pay attention. Help us to warn others of the things that are going to happen. Help us, Lord, to be prepared like a thief wanting to come into our house and rob us. Help us to be alert and ready for those events. Father, I pray that our hearts would be right with you. And if there is anyone in here who has not gotten right with you, who hasn't said, Jesus, please come into my life and please forgive me of my sins and help me to walk in repentance with you. If that has not happened, Lord, I pray that today it would happen. And if there's people in here that that's the case, make this a time where they do business with you. And help us, Lord, to be praying for and sharing with those around us before it is too late, before they die and meet you in eternity or before the end happens, Lord. Help us to be going about your business, warning and watching and waiting for you. We thank you for this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.